Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. My practice specializes in providing fact-based strategic risk management advice to clients that are buying, selling, or growing the value of companies and their intellectual property. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. I also recently launched a new LinkedIn group called A Group That Doesn't Suck. So please join so that so join that as well so that if you would like to engage with me, that's your opportunity to do so. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Today's topic is should I license my intellectual property? And as I look back on, on the history of this program, and we're now recording show number 140-something, I'm stunned that we have not covered this topic. Um, intellectual property is such an important facet of our economy. There's data that suggests that, that the value of our, um, our value of our economy as a whole may be 90 to 95 comp- percent comprised of intellectual property, certainly intangible assets. And, um, you know, conversely, uh, the world in which I at least partially live accounting does a terrible job of measuring the value of intellectual property. Gap is just, it's just bad at measuring the value of intangible assets, intellectual property, which is why so-called value investors such as Warren Buffett have not really done all that well the last few years because, um, uh, so much value just doesn't fall into that in, into that bucket anymore. And according to Ibis World, intellectual property licensing is a $54 billion industry in the United States. And this is a recent data point. This is actually as of their October 2021 report. Interestingly, the biggest player in this market is Disney. And the most actively licensed form of intellectual property is franchises, franchises, at 39.8% of the market. Um, But that doesn't mean there isn't a whole lot of active intellectual property licensing elsewhere. And um, uh, here to join us to discuss this topic is Andrew Innes, who is a tabletop game designer based in my hometown of Boston, Massachusetts. He came up with the idea for his first game when he was 12 years old. Anomia Press, his company, publishes the award-winning and highly addictive card games Anomia and Duple, which have sold over a million copies and have been translated into 15 languages around the world. Now, I'm going to struggle very hard to maintain some sort of focus on this episode because I'm a gamer myself. 
I love games. I played Dungeons and Dragons with people last night. Um, and I, I just freely admit that the nerds shall inherit the earth. So I love this, but I promise we'll get around to a business topic at some point during this podcast. Andrew, welcome to the Decision Vision podcast. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. So um, let, let's start. When, when we talk about an intellectual property license, what does that mean to you? How would you define that? Uh, well, I guess, you know, if I, it can mean a lot of things, I suppose. But I mean, in my case, it means that, you know, I came up with this idea for a game and um, initially I self-published it um, and was manufacturing it and distributing it myself. Um, and then after a while, you know, meanwhile, I was, you know, still had a full-time job and, and had um, two young kids and, you know, busy life. Um, when I got an offer to license uh, Anomia, it sort of came at a time where I was, you know, struggling to deal with the growth of uh, Anomia Press and also faced with the issue of managing, you know, selling to retailers and trying to get paid by them and managing to have enough money to make my next batch of games. And, you know, we grew kind of fast, so it was a little bit painful um, and, you know, I had to borrow some money, et cetera. So, so, you know, in that moment for me, licensing was, was a nice option because it took away all of uh, a lot of the problems I had, which were like how to deal with the growth, how to deal with, you know, selling to retailers and maintain my, my career at the time and not just be like an insane person. So, you know, I guess in a nutshell, licensing means like, you know, taking, put, you know, putting some value on an idea you have um, typically in some kind of tangible form, like, and like in, in the form in this case of a game and then giving the rights to somebody else, another company to manufacture and distribute that. Now, I think there's a commonly held perception of licensing IP that it's uh, it's so-called mailbox money, where you sign a licensing deal, somebody else does all the work, you put your feet up, you binge watch Game of Thrones for the third time or something, and you wait for the <laughs> checks to roll in. Is that right. what happened to you? Or did you sign a couple of licensing deals and you're just sort of living the good life and don't have to work anymore? How, how does that work? Well, I did binge watch Game of Thrones, so maybe, I don't know. I mean... Okay. I, I, um, I mean, you know, your mileage may vary, I, I guess is the best way to put it. Like I, Anomia has been very successful. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, the, the, our situation may not be, you know, any, anybody else's situation. It, it's always going to vary, you know, so. So, I mean, on one hand, like the reason that I chose to license was, like I said, I was, I was juggling a lot of stuff, young kids, another career. And I was sort of thinking like, well, what, what do I, you know, that, this is something I say to people when, when they're considering this, I'm like, what, you know, what do you want to do with your time? Like, what do you want to be spending your time on? And for me, it was, it was, I, I had this vision for Anomia. I wanted to see it grow to, you know, multiple multiple products, um, a multi-product line. And I, 
you know, at the time I was still, you know, focused on my other career. I mean, I've since left that career and I'm focused on this stuff full time, but, but, um, but so licensing for me in large part was about like making a decision about how I wanted to spend my days. And what I wanted to do was grow the product line. And what I didn't want to do was, you know, chase down 25 retailers who were past due and, you know, I also, you know, big, big part of this was my partner, my licensing partner, you know, they had a great distribution network and way bigger than what I had. And they had relationships with, you know, large chain stores and big box stores and the mid tier stores and all the mom and pop shops. Um, and so immediately, you know, um, I had already been working with them. They, they had been um, a distributor for me um, at for, you know, for I don't know how long, maybe six to eight months or something like that. And then they they approached me with an offer to license. So so I you know had an existing relationship with them. Um, but yeah, so it was all about what I what I wanted to spend my time doing. I mean, if you want to if you want to like grow your business from the ground up and retain full control of everything, then, you know, licensing may not be for you. If you want to take advantage of another business's, you know, distribution network or other, you know, what, depending on, you know, what your product is, um, or, uh, then, you know, it might make sense to consider licensing. So. Now I'm curious, you said when you, when you licensed at first, you had another job. I'm, I'm curious what that was. You know, it's well, if you're in the, role-playing gaming community, for example, you know, Gary Gygax, one of the founders of Dungeons and Dragons was an insurance salesman until they right, got right. enough for him. What, what, what is, what was your primary hustle before you moved into gaming? Sure. So, um, well, at the time, my last, uh, full-time job was, was with the Harvard business review and I did product development for them, mostly in the oh. digital space. So I did like app development and some mobile mobile web development, um, mostly like as a as a sort of product manager and um, project and product manager type role. Um, so basically, finding ways to take their content and 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 then repackage it, repurpose it in a digital context. I mean, I started there right around the time that first iPhones were coming out, so you know, we were, we were getting into that. Um, and prior to that, I had worked in publishing. I worked for a company called Source Media, um, which was a financial publisher in, in Manhattan. And um, I, you know, I started there actually in print production and that was kind of awesome uh, because that, those skills were really helpful when I was first prototyping Anomia, like knowing my way around a desktop publishing software. Um, but I, at, after a few years there, I had, I worked there for about 10 years. And, um, so I worked in print production, like putting out a daily newspaper for a few years. And then I moved over to their web group and I was editing on, you know, an editor on the website. And then, and then I became a product manager there for one of their main websites. And then over time I took on, I think I had about five websites that were, you know, two daily papers, two monthly magazines, and like a weekly, uh, weekly, weekly newspaper as well. So just doing, uh, basically, you know, inter interfacing between um, tech development, editorial, advertising, marketing, customer service, and sort of, you know, helping 
all of those different parts of the business inter interact with and improve the website and things like that. So, so, so of the two games you have licensed, which is the one you developed first? Was it, was it Anomia? Yeah. So Anomia and there's, and there's four currently in the market, there's four versions of Anomia out, but the, the original game was a small blue box with two decks. And that okay. was the, that was the first one. So when you develop that, um, how did you, how developed was that game when you started to approach potential licensees? You must have had, I guess, at least a basic prototype. Was it, was it highly polished? Was it kind of a rough prototype just to let people know generally where you were headed? How, how far did you have to have that product developed before you felt like you could take it to licensees and be taken sure. seriously? Well, I mean, in my case, I actually had a product, you know, Anomia was in the market. So I had, I had, Worked on it for a number of years, uh, refining it. Then I, I sort of did my own version of a. This was maybe you know right around the same time Kickstarter was beginning. But I, I did my own Kickstarter where I, I um, I you know my own version of it. Like I, I spammed everybody I knew and asked them to pre-purchase copies of the game, and I raised enough money to print my first print run, um, and. And then I, you know, was able to fulfill, you know, all the orders for the people who had, who had pre-purchased copies. And then I, you know, sold a bunch more right after that. Um, but so, yeah. And then I started the sort of slow process of getting it out into stores and getting it, you know, learning more about the toy industry. And, but basically, you know, I had been sitting on this idea for so long. Like I literally, I had had the idea for, you know, Anomia when I was a kid. And then I, then I, then I kind of sat on the idea. I kept coming back to it over the years. And then finally I was like, maybe, maybe I should prototype this. And so I did, I started playing with friends and then I kind of play tested it for three or four years with a lot of different people and refined it further. And then at a certain point I was like, okay, it's done. I don't need to do any more like now what? And so the first thing was to just, I didn't want to license it right away. I wanted to bring it to market first and see what happened. And and then go from there. So basically I had a product in the market, you know, I, and it was selling well. Like, I mean, we, you know, we sold a thousand games our first year, but really that was like the last two months of the first year. And then we sold like 20 something thousand games the following year. Um, and, uh, and it was in that year that, um, we were approached, we were approached by, you know, another company saying like, Hey, would you consider licensing this to us? So um, now there's there's up and downsides to, to to that approach. Like one is if if you've got an idea, I mean it's very common in the toy industry and the and the tabletop game industry for an inventor to come up with an idea, make a rough prototype. It doesn't need to have any you know like fancy design or anything. It'd be super basic, but enough so that you can show. How does the game play? You know, what are the what are the components of the game, et cetera? And then, like, you know, part of what happens, say, at like uh, an industry event like Toy Fair, which is our big international, uh, you know, trade event in uh, February in New York City, uh, where you know, designer game designers come and they have they booked meetings with different companies and they go around and they pitch their ideas to companies and and people say, oh yeah, that looks cool. I'll uh, I want to license that for you or no, we're going to pass on that. It doesn't really fit our product line or whatever. So, I mean, I had actually gone to Toy Fair many times with my prototype in my bag, 
never showed it to anyone because I was terrified somebody would like steal my idea, you know. Really? And um and and um so, you know, so the so the the upside of bringing your product to market first and is that if you have some success, then when you're you know, negotiating your licensing deal, you often can can get a better percentage for your royalties. If you have an unproven, right. if you have an unproven product, like you just have this cool idea and people like the idea, but they have no idea how it does in the market, you know, you're going to get probably more of the standard licensing, uh, like what standard for whatever industry you're in. So if you even get that, and I, I think that's a really important point because the, <laughs> if the, you even get that right, the, the licensing, the, the most successful licensors I have met and worked with are ones that did bring their inventions to the market first in some fashion, proved market traction, right? Proved that that they could, maybe you didn't want to, right? But at least you theoretically could bring it to the market on your own. And that gives you the that gives you a lot of leverage because you don't have to just sort of right. take whatever a licensee is willing to pay. You do have at least the option, even if even if in the back of your mind you're saying, God, I hope this they take this deal because I don't want to do this anymore. Right. 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 If if you're at least a a, a a modicum of a decent poker player and you cannot show that in the negotiation, right, then you right. do have this fallback position. So, okay, well, if you don't like it, I'll just keep selling it, right? And you'll just keep losing out on the income. And so I and right. so as opposed to what I think many inventors and property de- intellectual property developers romanticize about that you can put an idea down on a piece of paper, maybe even get something patented, trademarked, copyrighted, whatever. There's some sort of protection of something there. There's this, there's a, a hope that, Hey, if I just go to a deep pocketed entity with a big idea, they're just going to license it. I think right. that is very much the exception rather than the rule at, at any price. Yeah. And, and also, you know, licensing comes with some other challenges like, you know, when I was not licensing, you know, when it was all in my, under my control, you know, for better or worse then I was, you know, every, the buck stopped with me and also any kind of marketing, like, you know, I had more flexibility around marketing or where I could sell, et cetera. And now, I mean, I, I feel lucky in my current, um, with my current partner because, I've actually maintained a lot of control over, you know, creative control over packaging. And also I, I, I do all the marketing, like they're happy, you know, they're super happy to be like the awesome distribution channel that they are and distributor. And, and like, that's what they do. They're great at it. And like, and so I've, you know, over the years taken on more of a marketing role and basically what I do now is product development and marketing. So, um, so I'm, um, and you may or may not be able to do that depending on your relationship with your licensor, you know, or your licensee. Um, so, you know, also going into it with them, I had to be really clear in my head, like they weren't going to market it. You know, that's not their job. They're not marketing to consumers. They sell to stores, you know, they don't sell to consumers. So, you know, when I talk to other people, I, I often consult with people in the, you know, in the game space. Cause you know, some friend of a friend, it's like, Oh, my friend made a game. Like what should they do next? And so 
I often, you know, will will meet with with folks like that. And, you know, I, I am always upfront about that. Like, you know, if you license your game to another company, depending on the company and, and their approach, you know, some game companies do market to consumers. They do have a social media presence. They do, you know, this and they do that, but some don't. And so you have to consider and also know that like, you, you know, my, my licensee, they have, they distribute, you know, for Hasbro and for Mattel, like my product is like one of thousands, you know, it's one of thousands of other products, like, and, you know, they love the game and all that, but like, I, I'm not, you know, you, you got to go into it with your eyes open. Like often if a, if a larger company is taking on your product, they they have other considerations, like they're going to consider your product, but it's one small piece of their business and it's not going to get the personal attention that you may feel it needs. And so you really need to make sure that you can deal with that or, and maybe you can deal with that by being a marketing voice for your product. You know, like I, I go to conventions, I, you know, exhibit at conventions and I'm sitting there demoing games all day, you know, to thousands of people. And, you know, I've got, you know, an email list I'm promoting to and websites and running contests, on my website, et cetera. Like I'm doing all that stuff, you know, because no one else is going to do it. So, and, 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 you know, that, that's exactly a point I wanted to kind of tease out of you in this conversation in that, again, I, I think there's a, there's a, a widely held view that if you license your IP, you sign a license, you start watching TV and just let the royalty checks roll in. But the reality is that, you know, I think for, if you want to maximize your revenue or come close to maximizing your income, from that relationship, you've got to help now your licensee be successful. You have to, right. you should, you need to, you know, in some, if you're, if what you're good at is marketing, you need to be out there and market it. Right. If, if you have, if you're right. kind of an influencer, then you need to influence, right. Whatever it is. Whatever you can do. Yeah. I mean, again, it's going to vary from, you know, situation to situation and who, what your industry is, what your, what your licensor is or what your licensee is, you know, interested in you doing some, some, you know, it's pretty frequent that a, a game designer might license to a company and then the company doesn't really want to deal with them. You know, they don't, they don't want to, they don't want to deal with, you know, listening to all of your ideas about marketing, you know, like yeah, inventors, enough to do. So, inventors can be very hard to listen to because it's 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 their baby and yeah they're excited about their idea and they think it's the best thing ever and now and, they've you know. been validated with one licensing agreement and right. it can it can be easy to fall into the trap then because you have that one agreement you that you now think you have 38 other awesome ideas that everybody yes. would be a fool not to listen to <laughs> right exactly and, and, oh yeah yeah and so the point is is you know you point. still have a business the business model may be different, but you do still have a business when you're when you're licensing your IP. Yeah, I mean it's different in terms of the day to day. Like you don't, it's not the same where I was, you know, shipping games and chasing down people for payment and you know trying to do this and trying to do that. Like it's a very different kind of um, business now. So. Um... When you started, when you took your game to market and they started appearing on retail shelves, were you hoping, were you positioning yourself 
in such a way that you were hoping to attract a licensee or did that relationship kind of happen serendipitously? No, that was serendipitous. Like I, I had, I was distributing myself in the United States. I had been approached by a distributor in Canada. Um, and then I had been approached by a distributor in Australia. So I had sort of set up, you know, I was taking care of the U S and then I was working with this Canadian distributor and an Australian distributor. And then, uh, I mean, when I set out with Venomia, like I didn't, I didn't, I think my vision was more about like, oh, I'll sell a lot on Amazon and I'll get it into some stores. And I didn't really know what, you know, I didn't know a ton about the toy industry. I didn't, you know, there was a lot I didn't know. So I didn't really have any sense of, um, I mean, <laughs> I'll say it's like after, you know, my first print run, I did 2,500 units and, uh, you know, I pre-sold 500 of those as you know, for the people who helped, you know, support that, 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 the, that first printing. And then, uh, we, those came, those went out right around, uh, actually just this, this time in, uh, it was November of 2009. And then I sold another 500 copies, like between December, between November and December, because the holidays that like, people were into the game and, you know, some people bought it for gifts and stuff. And then in, <laughs> and then it, January of 2010, I had 1,500 games left, and they were sitting in my attic, and just above my, right above my bedroom. And I was always worried, you know, they'd come crashing through the, through the floor, and kill me in my sleep. And um, <laughs> I, I was like, what am I going to do with all of these games? I have so many games in my attic, and I have no idea how to sell all of them. Am I going to sell them one by one? Am I going to sell them to a store? I think I had gotten it into about three stores. Um, and I, yeah, so I really didn't know what I was going to do. Like that, that was, that was like the next big problem. The first big thing was just getting the game made, you know? And then the second big problem was, all right, I made my game. Like, what do I do now? And I mean, I knew that I had wanted to just mark, uh, produce it myself initially before trying to license it. So, um, so that's where I was, you know, sitting there in January going scratching my head, trying to figure out what was next. Um, so I didn't, I didn't have a big vision for it. Certainly not like the vision I have for it now. So what did that conversation look like when, when the, when the ultimately some licensees approached you, what kind of questions did they ask? What kind of due diligence did they, did they go through with you? I mean, they, they wanted to, they, I mean, they loved the game. Uh, so they knew the product already and they, um, they, they saw, you know, they saw an opportunity there and they, they asked me, you know, I had to provide them with details about like what I had sold, you know, basically um, how much I had sold over the, over that time period. Um, so that, that, I think that was probably the bulk of their, you know, what they were, what they wanted to know. Um, they, they wanted to know, you know, like how, how many units I had sold where and where I'd had I sold them. And, you know, where was I getting it printed and, and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, so that's, those are the kinds of questions. I mean, it, God, it was a long time ago now, so. 
did it take it was it your impression I mean, how quickly did those deals come together do you have a, do you remember i mean pretty quickly i i think you know we we went back and forth for a few months like you know redlining the agreement um and and uh, i worked with a lawyer and you know just trying to make sure that we are you know everything was covered on our end and and that we you know want, got the percentage that we wanted etc so did in those conversations did it ever did the topic ever come up of potentially simply selling your ip outright no no not 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 to my recollection um I mean, it's something I think about now, but again, like I have this vision for what I want the line to be. And so I'm kind of working towards realizing that. And I kind of, am, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure what, you know, if my kids are going to be interested in this business, you know, down the road or they're both just, you know, entering high, they're in eighth and ninth grade. So, you know, I could imagine it would be at least, 10 to 15 years before I, if one of them was interested that they would, you know, potentially get involved. But like, you know, so I think I'm, I'm 52. So, you know, I'm starting to think about, you know, retirement in, you know, 12, 13 years and, you know, or, or not. I mean, like if I can, can maintain this business as it is, like I could imagine doing this for quite a while past that point, but, you know, so, but I am thinking about like, okay, I want, I want to have 15 products. I want to have X number of social media followers, X number on my email list. I want to have presence in these stores around the country. And, um, and I want to translate it into, you know, five more languages or, you know, whatever. So, so, you know, I, I kind of think about that stuff in terms of maybe one day selling, selling off the IP. Um, like I remember when I was just getting started around that time, Trivial Pursuit was sold to I think Hasbro um, for you know eighty million dollars, and I was like, wow, that's kind of amazing, mm. you know. Um, so, you know, so yeah, it's it's definitely something I think about. I mean, it's also I feel like even though I've licensed it, it's still kind of my baby, and I'm and I st and I feel very much like the face of the game, you know, in terms of like the public marketing efforts. So, um, now how, when, when you, when, when you negotiated the terms of these licensing deals, did, how difficult did you find it? You know, you'd never, presumably you'd never negotiated a deal like this. H how did you kind of come to, a point where you thought the deal that was put in front of you was fair? How did you push back on certain terms? How did you know how to navigate that? Or did you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I had a, a good lawyer um, and that was very, very helpful. Um, and I wanted to, uh, there were certain things I wanted, like I wanted to control. I saw already that there was an option, an opportunity to make more versions of the game uh, you know, different thematic ex extensions. So I wanted to um, make sure that I had control over um, things like packaging, package design. And I wanted to be able to, you know, audit their books if I wanted to make sure that, you know, they were really doing what they said they were doing. And I wanted to, um, 
uh, what was the other thing that was? Um, what, oh, about I wanted... they, uh, what about if they didn't, weren't successful, right? Some, sometimes right. Well, we had a minimum versionary, right? You know, they, they had to hit a minimum, you know, um, based on, you know, minimum units sold annually. Um, and then uh, I also wanted, I wanted marketing stock. I wanted to be able to have games to to use for marketing purposes. So I wanted, I like, if we put that into the contract, like I get X number of games every year um, and to use, you know, to use for marketing. So, you know, basically for me, like having the creative control on the packaging and the product development, um, you know, one thing I, I gave up at the time was like selling, was selling on, you know, somewhere like Amazon um, and, which, you know, which I understood. Um, and, but I, you know, but I did have, I did maintain a, um, an e-commerce presence on my site, though it was fairly, you know, it wasn't a big, it wasn't a big operation. And I'm, I'm curious, I may be stepping out of bounds here, but I'll try to be as vague as I possibly can, because I, I think, okay. I think the answer will be very, will be potentially of interest to our listeners. And that is, are, are your deals straight royalty or are there any maintenance or milestone payments involved? Is it all just based on sales or is there any kind of fixed component to your deals? So uh, they're all typically based on sales um, in the case of, so I've been speaking mostly about my North American licensing so far, but I, you know, we do have, you know, our games are in 15 languages. So we have licensing deals in many other countries and um, and often those deals are uh, sort of prefaced with a um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, there's a there's an upfront fee which gets paid. I'm spacing on the name um, and uh, an advance. Sorry, thank yep. you. Um, so there's an advance, and then typically the 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 licensee will then sell against that advance or, you know, then, then you don't really make any money until, until uh, they've passed that number in sales, you know? So, so it's like a, it's like a good faith, a token of good faith. Like we're going to give you X amount. And then after we, we've sold enough games to recoup that, we'll, we'll then start paying you, you know, quarterly or annually or whatever the, whatever the deal is. So. And, and, you know, how did you ensure that your intellectual property was, was properly protected? Is it for what you do? Is it copyrights? Is it trademarks? Is it something else? Uh, it's copyright and trademark. Okay. Basically. So. Um, now, and, it, and even then, I mean, it, it's goofy in the game industry because, uh, you know, I mean, the classic example of this is apples to apples and cards against humanity. Like, Apples to, you know, Cards Against Humanity is apples to apples. It's the exact same game, hmm. exactly down to the nitty fine, you know, detail, nitty gritty fine details. However, the content is very different. So it can be its own game um, and obviously has a very different audience and a very different, you know, it, it sold, you know, they both have sold millions of copies, but you know, they're very different kinds of games. And similarly, now I see with Anomia, like there's two, two knockoffs in the market now. 
where people have taken the idea and, you know, tweaked it slightly. Um, and I get, you know, it's, it's really annoying to me, but it's also like, just, that's just what happens, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. why there's McDonald's and Burger King and, you know, so Coke and Pepsi. If, if, so. um, You've been licensing. You've been licensing your games for how long now? Uh, not uh, oh, licensing. Um, about ten years. Okay, so in that in that decade, what if anything has surprised you that you weren't expecting from your licensing relationships? Um. I mean, hmm. sometimes, well, I'm always really, I'm, I'm always really amused. Um, you know, Anomia is a funny name. And so in other countries, we often have to change the name of the game because they just are like, ah, we can't deal with this name. It's weird. And um, so I'm always like surprised at the names that people come up with you know, they don't always mean anything to me because I'm, I'm not a native language speaker of whatever languages. Um, also we had one licensee who wanted to change the game, you know, in, in a, not in a huge way, but like they wanted to add this other element to it. And, you know, they were a big company and we let them do it because we thought, Oh, they're, they're, they must know what they're doing. You know, like they're, they're a big successful game company. And, and, you know, fast forward to now, like we're, we've ended our license with them and we're looking for somebody else in that territory uh, because the game didn't do great and they didn't, I think they screwed it up, frankly. So, um, you know, Anomi is a super simple, like very, you know, elegant in its simplicity type of game. It's not a complicated game. So like adding more elements, like doesn't really do anything to the gameplay and or doesn't do anything for the gameplay, I should say. And um, so, yeah, I'm always surprised, like, you know, at the names that people come up with or. Um, and also, you know, one thing that's super interesting is that, like, how the the North American market is like the, you know, the massive, you know, juggernaut that it is. And then when you add up all the sales from all the other, you know, languages, it's like, you know, maybe equivalent to like what you're doing in North America. But actually probably not even half as much, you know, it's like the North American market is just this monstrous thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, when when I'm doing a, when I'm doing an intellectual property appraisal, um, I'll absent specific data to the contrary. I'll, I'll often assume that there's the United States and then there's sort of the rest of the world that equals the United States market. And yeah. um, I, I've yeah. rarely, if ever run into trouble with that assumption. Yeah. I'd say, you know, I don't, I couldn't really say exactly, but I don't think what we sell across the rest of the world is, you know, dollars to dollars. Well, also our, our, you know, our percentages are different in, in every territory. So it's not apples to apples, but you know, but I should I should go look at that unit unit for unit and see how it how it compares. That would be pretty interesting. Now you touched on this a little bit, but it's such an important point. I want to come back and make it explicit, even at the risk of sounding repetitive. And that is um, uh, making sure that you're paid what you're owed. 
when, when you mm-hmm. license a property to somebody else, um, you're probably not gaining access to their internal accounting system. So you're having to kind of rely on the kindness of strangers, if you will, or the integrity of the licensee to uh, to report revenue correctly and pay you what you're actually owed. Um, yeah. How do you how do you make sure of that that that's true or can you do you just sort of have to trust your partner and hope it works out? I mean, I think it's a mixture of like you know we have some language in our in our contract that says you know we can come and look at your books and see you know as best as possible. I mean, not to say that they if they were really devious they could probably cook up some something to show us that you know, but. I mean, you know, part of it is just good faith. In the case of the international licensing, it's a little bit even trickier because, you know, we've we've certainly gone, you know, two, three, four quarters without getting paid from some companies and we have to just hound them. And, you know, I have a I have a person that helps with my helps me with my international licensing. So they've got, you know, one, they know, oh, this is a good company, they're trustworthy. Like they've got they've got the inside scoop on like who's worth working with and who's not. So like usually when I, when I get a deal to license, then, you know, I, I know going in like these people are, are worthy, you know, because they, this, you know, these people that I work with tell me find the international licenses, like they're, I mean, the, the game industry and toy industries, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a huge industry, but it's also like, it's like, Every, everybody knows everybody, you know, so. Um, Especially in so, gaming. Yeah, in gaming. So you you can, you know, you can, as long as you have like, like I wouldn't be able to do necessarily all these international deals without the, the folks that I, that, you know, basically they're like sales reps for me. Like they go and they find and help me maintain those relationships. So they're plugged into that whole international network. Um so are, are, are your licenses exclusive? Um, and, and is that, is that what, the, what the licensees ultimately wanted? Or did you think about multi-exclusivity? How, what, what's your ex- exclusivity situation like? They're, they're, exclu- they're typically exclusive. Like in Europe, it's a little funny because like, you know, if you make the German version, then, you know, you can sell that across Europe. It's not like you can only sell it in Germany, but you can only sell the German version, you know you can't go make a French version and sell that across Europe too. Like that's for the French licensee. So, so typically they're exclusive in a given territory in a specific territory. And um, yeah. Okay. So. Um, now, have you ever had any kind of dispute with any of your licensees where, it, you know, it got serious? Nothing too, nothing too bad. We had, you know, we've had some, you know, some kind of gray area stuff where like one company kind of got into bed with another company and then it wasn't clear, like, were we still with them or were we with this new company, you know, like stuff like that, but nothing, nothing's gotten particularly bad. Um, You know, Okay. Mostly, yeah, yeah. It's been, we've been, and, we've been. And what about the length of your licenses? Do they have a do they have a finite length? Do they have automatic renewal? Are they just perpetual? How, how does it? How does the time frame of your licenses work? They they typically uh, they they're all different, but they often have some kind of like 
either a time, uh, like a, a time uh, frame in which we'll you know, reconsider the license. Um, I mean, always my my approach with this stuff is to uh, give a lot of benefit of the doubt to the business because they know their market and they know. So, like, if they want to, you know, if things are going well, like, I'm probably going to stay with them. You know, even if, like, oh, you missed your numbers by a thousand units, but, you know, I'm probably still going to stay with you at least for another term, you know, so that you have a chance to, you know, like, you know, I'm not going to pull the plug on someone because they didn't sell all their units in like during COVID or something, you know, like, right. you, know, sure. you, you know, there's just, there's like reality, you know, so, so, um, you know, there's ups and there's downs. So, but, but typically there's, there's either a number like got to hit this many units. And if, and you know, year over year, if you're really not hitting your numbers, then, okay, we'll, we'll move on. But, but, um, but, you know, but we'll work with you and, Give you that. Give you that chance. We're talking with Andrew Innes, and the topic is: Should I license my intellectual property? Um, this probably doesn't apply to you, but on the other hand, um, they still have to have instructions on the side of a can of paint that you shouldn't drink paint. So I shouldn't. I guess I shouldn't <laughs> assume anything. Is is there? Are there any issues of of liability in terms of you know somehow somebody I don't know injures themselves with a with a card cut or something it's probably standard <laughs> boilerplate, but, but um, not so far. I mean, you, you have to get your products tested in the, in the toy industry, especially if they're being manufactured elsewhere, right. You know, make sure there's no lead, make sure if there's small parts, it's got to have labels for, you know, little kids and you know, there's all that stuff. So all that stuff's got to happen and all the, you know, licensees have to do it. So and who's responsible for that? Do you do that, or does, does the licensee do that? That testing. Uh, the licensee typically does it, um, though. Um, excuse me, I got the phone ringing in the background. Um, yeah, the licensee typically does it for their for their territory. So, okay. Um, and and do your licensees have the right to sub-license if they find somebody else that wants to license to them to, can, can they do that? Or if, if do all new licensees have to come to you as kind of the mothership? Yeah, no, there's no sub-license, no okay. sub-licensing. Okay. Uh, Andrew, we're, we're getting to the end of our time and I want to be respectful uh, of your time. Cause I know you've got more games to develop. Um, they're going <laughs> to yeah. be awesome. We probably have not covered everything that, that, a listener would have wanted, or maybe we didn't go into as much depth as they would have liked. If somebody sure. wants to contact you, maybe for a little bit of additional advice to follow up after this, uh, this podcast, uh, would you be willing to talk to help them? And if so, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm always happy to talk uh, about any of this stuff. Um, I guess probably the best way is to just come go to our website um, and use the contact us form. Uh, that'll that'll come to me, which and the website is anomiapress.com. It's a n o m i a p is in Paul r e s s dot com. That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Andrew Innes so much for sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. 
If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Also, check out my new LinkedIn group, A Group That Doesn't Suck. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Bradyware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.